One sweltering night in the late 1960s, Thomas Terrence, a member of the KKK, attempted to plant a bomb at a Jewish businessman's house in his town. Little did his accomplice and him know that it was an ambush set up by the FBI, and it resulted in a shootout. Terrence's partner died, and Terrence was shot at close range by a shotgun. And on the way to the hospital, they told him that he would probably not make it to the hospital. Well, Terrence recovered. He was sentenced to prison, and in jail, six months later, he escaped. Once again, there was a shootout with law enforcement, and one of the fellow fugitives that ran with him also died. Here he was, two close encounters with death. Now in a maximum security prison, a six by nine cell by himself. And what did he have? Books. And one of the books that he opened was the Bible. And there in that six by nine foot cell in Mississippi in a maximum security prison, he came to faith. It's been 50 years since the conversion of Thomas Terrence. And in that time of his conversion, he worked through his hatred. He reconciled with African-American cellmates. He reconciled with the FBI agent that arrested him and shot him. He graduated from the University of Mississippi. He went to seminary. He became a pastor of a racially mixed church in Washington, D.C., and eventually became the president of the C.S. Lewis Institute. And he was there for 20 years, until just last year, he retired from that job. Here's the thing. Thomas Terrence didn't almost die. He did die in that jail. And in that place, he was transformed. What if I told you the passage that we're going to read today tells us of an exponentially greater transformation than that of Thomas Terrence? You might think, well, I have a testimony that's not even close to that. What if I told you that this passage tells of a testimony that can be true in your life that is greater than Thomas Terrence's testimony? One in which all of your weaknesses, all of maybe your shame, all of your mortality will be transformed into immortality. This is a transformation greater than any testimony you've ever heard, even Thomas Terrence. So let's look, shall we? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, start in verse 35. And go to verse 49. Please pay attention as we read God's word. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is, that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, 
another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was formed from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and in and is the man of heaven. So also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have uh, borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The word of the Lord. Well, if you're just joining us uh, this winter and this spring, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we've been camping out um, specifically this past few weeks in chapter 15. We've done that because it's probably the chapter that's most extensive about the resurrection. And as we're getting towards Easter next week, thought it would be good to t look at this chapter 15 before we go back um, to the chapters of Corinthians we have not covered. So here is a church in Corinth in, in uh, modern-day Greece. And a lot of people in this church, or I don't know, some people in the church that Paul is responding to, have thought they've got it all together. They've kind of said, we've arrived spiritually. They have this kind of triumphant attitude. Because of their Christianity, because they are in the church, they realize that, hey, we've arrived. We've made it. And therefore, they have this triumphant attitude that there doesn't need to be change in them. That they are just the way they will be in heaven now. A lot of this thinking came from Roman thinking of the idea of a denial of the body. That the body is bad and the soul is good. So you have to deny the body. You need to get rid of it. And so in that kind of thinking, they said, heaven has already arrived because we have denied the body. Well, Christian message has come along. Paul has come along and taught. And um, Christ has given this message that that is not the way that Christianity talks about the body. Christ had a resurrected body. And those that belong to Christ in heaven will also have a resurrected body. Now for those that were denying this, that was incredulous. They said, how can this be? How can a dead body come back to life? How can you resuscitate a body after its decay? That's ridiculous. In fact, it's just gross that a body like that would come back to life. Well, Paul's responding to that message. And right away, hearing these kind of questions that come in verse 15, uh, sorry, in verse um, 35, 
They say, how are the dead raised, is one question. With what kind of body did they come? These are the questions that are being asked incredulously, dismissive kind of questions to what Christians are teaching. Paul says, you fool. I don't think Paul is saying that they're dumb. I think instead, Paul is going back to Psalms that says, the fool says there is no God. Paul is trying to press them to say, don't you see the power of God? He shows his power in the work of Christ. And then it shows to us through Christ's resurrection and then how it comes to us. It does beg the question for all of us this morning. Have we thought about the creative power of God? He's created power to renew and transform us. His ability to take our bodies, as feeble as they are, as perishable as they are, and his creative mind to make them imperishable, to make them imperfect. Or do we think this is as good as it gets right here? Chapter 15 kind of talks about the continuity and discontinuity of the body. The continuity of the world to come, the new heavens and the new earth, and the discontinuity between this earth and the new heavens and the new earth. Last week, we emphasized the continuity of our earth and the new heavens and new earth. Here, I think in this section of chapter 15, it's talking more of the discontinuity, the difference between our earth and the heavens to come. See, Paul's saying the resurrection doesn't mean the resuscitation of the old body, but the transformation of the old body to a spiritual body, which is connected with Christ. For us, that means the death of this body and the needed unity with Christ and a body to be embodied by his spirit. So let's look at some verses together. I think Paul uses an ABAB method. He's going to do verses 26 um, through uh, verses 35 through 38 and then 42 through 44 as the A and then as B he uses the other remaining verses. So let's see the arguments that Paul uses to combat what's happening and what people are saying. Again, many are saying that this is simply a resuscitation of a dead body. And Paul uses an analogy to fight against this. See, that's not the way it is. Look at a seed. If God can transform a seed into a beautiful tree, he can transform your body too in the resurrection. See, it doesn't mean simply resuscitation of the seed. It means transformation. He says it means death of the seed, germination, to have something totally new come up. If I went outside right now and I took one of Aaron's tulip bulbs and I dug it out of the ground and I basically scrubbed it up, made it look really nice and put it on the dining room table. And I said, look, honey, beautiful transformation. She would look at me like, you're crazy. You got to leave that seed in the ground. You got to let it germinate. As Paul says, you got to let it die so it can be transformed into this beautiful thing. See, the eye, it looks at a seed and it thinks, really? From that, a tree? Just in the same way, the eye might look at us, look at us 
in this perishable body and say, really from this, an imperishable body? If God can do it to a seed, he can do it to us. And Paul says, this is just blind faith. That's a great analogy, but I can see how it just falls totally flat, right, if I take it too far. He says, this isn't just blind. We have an eyewitness account of this happening. You see, we have Christ. See, Christ, this exact thing happened. We have evidence of resurrection body. In verse 38, Paul brings up this idea of continuity between our body and the body to come. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Here the continuity is that it is our seed, it is our body, ourselves, um, that it comes from. Wheat seed produces wheat. Sunflower seeds produce sunflowers. Dan's body produces a new spiritual body of Dan. David's body produces a new spiritual body of David. That is the continuity. But really, what's emphasized here is the discontinuity. See, this new body is resurrection body. It's totally different. It's no longer susceptible to corruption, to shame, to weak conditions, to physical infirmities. It has been transformed through its death. Now, what this body looks like, people have speculated through the millennia. So I guess we could look at Jesus' resurrection body. He ate. He was able to appear and reappear. He still had scars. But we can't always look at that because, again, that was not his full body in glory. But it does give us a little bit of a picture of what it could be. For the Corinthians, they thought, they used this word often of themselves, that they were spiritual, that they had been fully transformed. But Paul is trying to say, no, you have not. You have to fully die. And in that death will be full transformation. Well, I was reading about Thomas Terence because I've been continuing to be reading C.S. Lewis. And I love Terence's thoughts on Lewis, especially his thoughts on a book that I love, um, that I probably reference more than any other book in our church other than the Bible, um, The Great Divorce. And I got to read it again this last month. I try to read it um, once a year. And if you have not read The Great Divorce, you have time probably to read. This is one book I will plug, other than reading your Bible while you're there, is to read The Great Divorce. Not very long. It's really good. It's an allegory. It's an allegory about a middle place between heaven and hell, that great divorce. And in this middle place, people from hell and people from heaven meet and talk. And in one of these stories where an angel meets a man from hell, one of these conversations happens. This man, on his shoulder, has a talking lizard. And the lizard represents lust in his life. And the angel says, you can't bring this thing with you to heaven. You must have it die. And the angel says, I can take care of it. 
And as the angel is talking to this man, this lizard also is able to talk. And as the angel is pressing towards trying to kill this lizard, the lizard starts speaking to the man on his shoulder. And you can just picture it. And here is what the lizard says. That angel can do what he says. He can kill me. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It is not natural. How could you live? Yes, yes, I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams. But aren't they better than nothing? I admit I've sometimes gone too far in the past. But I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams. All sweet and fresh and almost innocent. This is what lust is saying to the man. And finally, the man consents. You can kill the lizard. Well, the angel kills the lizard, and what happens next is so profound. The man is transformed to a spiritual body, to a resurrection body. And what also is transformed is the lizard into a beautiful stallion. A stallion, like the person observing, like has never been seen before. And as the stallion and the man ride off to heaven, here is what one of the observers says about the incident. Nothing not even the best and noblest can go on as it is now is. Nothing, not even the lowest and most bestial will not be raised again if it submits to death. It is one, a natural body. It is raised, a spiritual body. You see, Lewis is borrowing from this language in Corinthians. Lewis is borrowing from the language of Jesus. Hear what Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Brothers and sisters, we have been given a wonderful time to think about the lizards that are on our shoulders, of the things that might need to die and be risen to something more beautiful. Right now in our homes, in our isolation, as our things and idols have been taken away, is a time to think, what is that lizard that whispers in our ear? Obsession about money? Oh, if you don't have this, you're going to be no good. If you don't have your job, you know, it's, it's not going to be good for you. Is it the controlling nature over our household, our kids, our spouse that needs to die? 
Is it maybe our idolatry that if I'm in the right relationship, then I'll be fine? If maybe I have time and freedom to do what I want, maybe if I'm able to watch sports as much as I want to, all of these things that whisper in our ear, you know, you know, this is what keeps me going. Maybe the Lord is saying, surrender it to me in this time. Die to your control so that you might be transformed to new life. I wonder if you can't let it die now, will you really let Christ transform you in eternity? Well, Paul goes on to answer some of the skeptics in what they're saying. Verses 39 through 41, also verses 45 through 49, he uses another argument. And here, Paul now points people to creation. He says, you know, there are different bodies for humans and animals and birds. There is different glory in the sky and the sun and the moon and the stars. Paul is showing the creativity of God. See, if God can do this and create these different elements and these different things and different glories, can he not do this in creating a resurrection body for us? See, God's endless creativity should inspire confidence that he can create a kind of life in the world to come. That should make us think, okay, it is possible for God to do this transformation. To create spiritual bodies. Maybe you doubt it. He says, well, let's look at humanity and its representatives. Adam represents the natural body. And you can see through Adam God's creativity. But also you see what happens with a corrupted body because of sin. It will return to dust. And that is true for all of humanity. But then God shows his creativity and his glory through another representative that also represents us as humanity. And that is Christ. Here is the transformational power of God. The glory of God. Here was a human, like Adam, but different than Adam, that was sown into the ground, into a tomb, and he raised with a spiritual body. And now, this new representative of those that belong to him, Christ, sits in the right hand of the Father, physically. And he is a picture of what transformation can be for us. And one day, that man of heaven will come again to raise the living and the dead. Paul's saying, yeah, yeah, we, we have the image of Adam in us. But if we trust in Christ and belong to him, we also have his image too. That beauty of transformation and creativity and new life that God gives. These past three weeks, we have tried everything to hide 
that we belong to Adam. But to realize that we all are dust is hard to ignore in these times. I know I told you earlier not to look at the news too much. I took a little bit of a peek this week. And I have been blown away by the images out of New York City. And I don't think it's just trying to scare us. Here is a city that has been quieted. And the noises that now are out of that city are sirens. Hospitals are full. Medical tents are set up in Central Park. 600 people died just on Friday. Medical workers in New York City that have seen a lot of trauma said they have never seen anything like this before. Crying on camera from seeing so much death. A resilient city brought to its knees. Here is what one reporter said on ABC News. This is a national reporter from a report, not from some editorial or comment. He says this. We as New Yorkers have to admit there is something larger than ourselves calling the shots. We belong to Adam. So what is our answer to this? It seems to be optimism, right? The optimistic way of the American life. When things are hard or difficult, stay positive. Late night host, give us good humor, right? When things are difficult or hard, we just have our sayings that we like to go to. Stay positive. Maybe what I've seen this week, my friends who have posted on Facebook, their kids writing chalk art. And the chalk art sayings say things like, be happy, smile, don't worry. Now hear me, I'm not trying to bash the sidewalk art of your children or the positivism message. What I am saying is that these messages don't have teeth to the problem. They give no real beauty or creativity to the answer of death. You see, the Christian message shows that God has worked in this. He has done something in history and in time to this world to show us teeth to the problem of death, the resurrection of his son. Listen, I can't bash sidewalk chalk art because my daughters put flowers on the sidewalk and wrote different things throughout our sidewalk and our yard. But one of my daughters put 1 Peter chapter 5 on the sidewalk. And here is what she had written down. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Well, I reopened 1 Peter 5 and read the context of that passage. And I realized that what my daughter wrote on the sidewalk can truly bring teeth and hope to people that are hopeless. And here's what 1 Peter 5 says. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is the spiritual body. That is resurrection life. That is the hope that we have, that we would die to ourselves, that our bodies would die, and they would be resurrected with Christ. That is the message of hope in our age.